Hello, I'm Father Luke Goymore and welcome to I Believe, a series of catechetical reflections on the Apostles' Creed. Since the 4th century, Christians have summed up their belief in a series of statements of faith called the Apostles' Creed. The Apostles' Creed is used by Christians throughout the world in both private recitation and in the liturgy of the Church. In this series, we take a moment to pause and reflect on the significance of this great prayer and universal statement of belief. In today's episode, we reflect on I Believe in the Holy Spirit. The Catechism of the Catholic Church, in speaking of the Holy Spirit, says this. Paragraph 689. The one whom the Father has sent into our hearts, the Spirit of his Son, is truly God. Consubstantial with the Father and the Son, the Spirit is inseparable from them in both the inner life of the Trinity and his gift of love for the world. In adoring the Holy Trinity, life-giving, consubstantial and indivisible, the Church's faith also professes the distinction of persons. When the Father sends his word, he always sends his breath. In their joint mission, the Son and the Holy Spirit are distinct but inseparable. To be sure, it is Christ who is seen, the visible image of the invisible God, but it is the Spirit who reveals him. The Holy Spirit, then, is probably the most overlooked person of the Blessed Trinity. Now, in one sense, I suppose this is understandable. Father and Son have parallels in human experience. For good or bad, we know what fathers and sons are, and we know they are actual persons. The Holy Spirit, however, does not have such parallels. A spirit, in the common usage of the word, might refer to a number of things. It might refer to some disembodied ghost. Um, it could refer to an idea, uh, the spirit of an age, for example. Or it could refer to an attitude or driving force. You know, we say um, he or she's got spirit. Now, the problem here is that the word spirit is hardly, if ever, used to denote a person. It's always something um, kind of less than the fullness of reality. Now, this is not the case with the Holy Spirit. Now, from our previous reflections on the Trinity, we have examined the way in which the Holy Spirit is indeed a person. Even here, however, the language used to describe the Holy Spirit as the love which exists between Father and Son falls somewhat short as language always will do when talking of divine mysteries. And it falls short because our common concepts of love are incorporeal. So this analogy could still easily be misinterpreted as love somehow being less of a reality than the persons of the Father and Son themselves. So to be clear, the Holy Spirit is a person, and the Holy Spirit is indeed God. Now, the word spirit speaks more of how God relates to himself and to us, but should not be understood as anything impersonal or 
less than real. The Catechism describes the Holy Spirit as the name of the, the third person of God. The origins of this name are found in the Hebrew Scriptures. The Catechism continues. The Holy Spirit is the proper name of the one whom we adore and glorify with the Father and the Son. The term spirit translates the Hebrew word ruah, which in its primary sense means breath, air, wind. Jesus indeed uses the sensory image of the wind to suggest to Nicodemus the transcendent newness of him who is personally God's breath, the divine spirit. On the other hand, spirit and holy are divine attributes are common to the three divine persons. By joining the two terms, scripture, liturgy and theological language designate the inexpressible person of the Holy Trinity, of the Holy Spirit, without any possible equivocation with other uses of the term spirit and holy. That's Catechism Catholic Church 691. The idea that um, spirit translates the Hebrew word ruah can help us shed further light on the Holy Spirit's nature. Ruah speaks of uh, breath. Now, since breath is a sign and indeed a requirement for human life, what we see in the person of the Holy Spirit is the very life and essence of God himself. Again, it becomes important to remember that this analogy is not complete or perfect, for in talking of breath it would be possible to think only of the invisible gas that fills one's lungs. Language, as I said, is always limited. Nevertheless, what we see in the person of the Holy Spirit is the life-giving Ruah, God himself. The Holy Spirit, then, is just as much a person as God the Father and God the Son. The divine persons of the Holy Trinity do not act independently from one another. They have unique and complementary roles, acting with perfect equality, harmony and dignity. This does not, however, equate with each divine person simply doing the same thing. Now, this is an important idea. It's an important point, which is commonly misunderstood in our contemporary world. You see, man and women are made in God's image and likeness. Man and woman should be treated with perfect equality and dignity. But equality does not mean that both man and woman perform the same task. Equality does not mean sameness. The Holy Spirit in history and experience. The Holy Spirit then has been present throughout salvation history and can be seen indeed throughout sacred scripture. At the very beginning of creation, we read that the Spirit of God hovered over the waters. In fact, the whole of the Genesis creation narratives displays wonderfully the way in which the Holy Trinity operates. 
we see God the Father um, speaking creation into existence by his word. The word of God, of course, is the Son. And this happens through the agency of the Holy Spirit. The Ruah of God is then breathed into man and woman and they are given life. He, the Holy Spirit, spoke through the prophets in the Old Testament so that they could proclaim God's word. In the life of Jesus, we see the Holy Spirit present. We see the Holy Spirit at Jesus' baptism and then as the driving force leading Jesus into the desert to begin his period of temptation. Jesus promised his disciples that when he went back to heaven, he would not leave them on their own, but he would send them another helper. The Holy Spirit would come and be with them. On the Feast of Pentecost, the disciples were gathered in prayer and the Holy Spirit came. And when he came, he transformed the fearful and discouraged apostles into bold, courageous witnesses to Jesus who would be willing to die for what they believed. Through the Holy Spirit, the disciples of Christ received gifts which empowered them to serve and make the Christian community vibrant and strong. In short, it made the Christian community alive. The Holy Spirit put a deep joy and conviction into the followers of Christ so that they could prophesy, heal and work miracles. And even to this day, there are Christians that still exercise these charismatic gifts in the service of the church. The transformation which occurred at Pentecost was awesome. And the same Holy Spirit offers that transformation to us here, now. today. So let's look now at the Holy Spirit in the life of the Christian. By now it should be clear that the Holy Spirit is not some gas or energy or ghost or afterthought, but a real living being. The Holy Spirit is God. The wonderful and profound truth that few of us ponder enough is that when we were baptised, the Holy Spirit came and made his home inside us. That's an extraordinary truth. God makes his home inside us. Furthermore, when we are confirmed, we were sealed and equipped even further to be disciples of Jesus Christ in our world. The Holy Spirit is the one who enables us in a very real sense to live the Christian life. He is the supernatural God living and moving inside us, directing us to pray, praying within us even when we cannot pray ourselves and leading us to believe in God and to do good in our world. St Augustine describes the Holy Spirit as the quiet guest of the soul. This is a rich image for us, which is worth exploring. When we want to sense his presence, we need to be quiet. Quiet does not mean simply an absence of sound, but also an interior silence, an absence of internal chatter. Silent prayer then becomes 
an essential quality for anyone seeking to live in the full power and presence of the Spirit. Often this divine guest speaks to us very softly in the depths of our hearts, within the voice of our conscience and with a kind of inner conviction that drives us to do the good in a given situation. Our body, in one sense, can be seen as a kind of tent or house where the Holy Spirit lives. And it is the Holy Spirit living within us that gives us an appetite for the things of God. He drives us to ask the deep questions of life and makes us aware of the deep spiritual hunger present in every human heart. In the Creed, when we profess our belief in the Holy Spirit, we are inherently professing our belief in the tri-personal God. We are acknowledging that God is not a remote, disinterested power, but an intimate and personal reality who dwells in the very depth of our being. The Holy Spirit is as alive and active today as he always has been, and Extraordinary manifestations of God's Holy Spirit, including healings and praying in tongues, are not as infrequent as some might think. In fact, the Holy Spirit continues to give charisms to believers in order to build up the body of Christ, the Church, and spread God's kingdom on earth. Our belief in the Holy Spirit should encourage us to live lives that are more in conformity with the Spirit inside us and be more open to the promptings of this divine Spirit in our daily lives. Thank you for listening to I Believe. Join us next time when we will be reflecting upon the phrase I Believe in the Holy Catholic Church. May God bless you and confirm you in your faith. Amen.